You're listening to a previously recorded episode of the Detroit Sports Rag Podcast. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Simon Cowell of Broadcast. Plagiarize the work of a blogger, David Harnes. Now, what's going on with that? Where's my number? Sorry. It was condescending back. I had a few too many, and then just drove home, and then just fucking, yeah. Is it true you sexually harassed a co worker in the college newspaper? It's a Detroit sports website. Uh, I don't say this, 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 this puke isn't even worth being mentioned. The only time we should mention him is for his obituary. Except okay. no one will care when he's dead. We're talking to T. Foss, Terry Foster, 97-1. Uh, this guy got his hands into everything. Failed restaurants, failed marriages, failed liquor licenses. This guy's an animal. I make good choices nowadays. Before we get started, Jeff Moore, is that correct? Lawrence, you here to do the interview today or yeah. what's the deal? Yeah, no, I just... All right. Well, we, we, I'm sure Terry greatly appreciates that. The other thing is, you, you guys are raising hell out there in Detroit, aren't you? I, I, I've got some people telling me, you better not go on that show with those guys. Those guys are making everybody angry and getting them mad and doing stuff. So you're, you're creating quite a stir back there in Detroit. You guys got some phone DSR is sponsored by KellyTickets.com. Kelly, as in going back to Kelly, Kelly, C-A-L-I, Tickets.com. You can call them at uh, 877-225-8425. That's 877-225-8425. Mention the DSR, and you can get a, a discount on any of the upcoming shows coming to the metropolitan Detroit area, including Disturbed and Breaking Benjamin, Five Seconds of Summer. I'm sure there's tons of Five Seconds of Summer fans listening to the DSR podcast. Drake and Future, Peter Frampton, Louis C.K., a show I'll be going to August 5th at the Joe Louis Arena. They just announced that uh, John Oliver is going to be here for a couple shows at the end of the year. Amy Schumer's coming to town if you like comedy. 
I'll be at Slipknot in Marilyn Manson this Friday. So if you need any tickets, mention the DSR. You get a 10% discount. Those fucks at StubHub aren't giving you that. 877-225-8425. My name is Jeff Moss. This is the DSR podcast for July 26th. Uh, joining me in studio, as always, is producer, uh, board op. Um, what other titles do you have? I don't really know. No, you don't? That's uh, Jessica. And also in studio today, which we will delve into a lot in the uh, 6 o'clock hour, Anthony Ciotti, who is our Red Wings analyst on the DSR website. We have a lot to talk about. We haven't really focused a lot on the Red Wings offseason. We talked to, for a few minutes after the free agent signings, but after today's news that Danny DeKaiser signed a uh, 17-year, $147 million contract, um, as I stated on Twitter, Ken Holland handing out uh, term and money not unlike a pederast at a bus stop. Uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. This, we thought it was going to be a nightmare of an offseason. Freddy Krueger and his wildest dreams couldn't have dreamt up what Ken Holland has done over the last few weeks. And we're still, it's not over. We still have probably, what, seven, eight weeks until training camp? Well, probably, I don't know, second week of September. So, But before we get to... Uh, what we are going to talk about tonight with Anthony and Prashant Iyer, who's also going to join us by phone to talk about the Wings. That's basically going to be the whole entire 6 o'clock hour will be Detroit Red Wing talk because I think we've ignored it with all the Detroit Sports 105.1 discussion, uh, Tigers talk. So I think we really need to focus and break down what the offseason to date has been. At 5.30, we will talk to Greg Henson, former program director at uh, WDFN. And 1270, currently the PD for the ESPN station in Pittsburgh. Uh, we have not talked to him since 105.1 dropped dead a few weeks ago and turned over to a hip-hop station. So we, I, 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 to put a, I don't know, a bow wrap this thing up on the 105.1 sports story, I think we'd be remiss if we never talked to Henson about it. And I think we should talk to Greg about the future of sports talk in Detroit, uh, what he made of the death of that station, if he ever got contacted by anyone over there to save that ship, what he thinks the sale uh, of greater media, what, what kind of role that played in the death of 105.1. I, I think we should talk to him for a few minutes and get his input uh, because we're basically now left with a one sports talk station, which doesn't talk sports. Uh, if there's any hope for that changing in the future, but I think we should start with the Detroit Tigers and we are now what? Six days away from the trade deadline. Tigers sit five and a half games back in the American League Central. Four games behind in the race for the wild card. So basically it would seem, you know, you're fighting with the Astros, the Blue Jays, 
the Red Sox, who the Tigers are currently playing in a series um, and in Boston, it would seem the best chance, the best path to the postseason is the Central winning the division because I don't think there's a lot of people who think they're going to outplay those other teams uh, by four games for their balance of the year. And there's a few things I want to discuss about the Tigers um, right off the bat. And the continued lack of urgency of Brad Ausmus and this organization is absolutely stunning to me. This is a franchise that is paying the luxury tax this year. This is an organization that has an over $200 million million budget payroll. This is a franchise that has a dying owner desperate to win a World Series. With all of those things combined, you would think there would be some urgency by the management, El Avila, and the manager, Brad Ausmus, who is in the final year of his contract. And Al Avila can say whatever he wants. Uh, Al, Brad Ausmus is fighting for his job to, to remain a manager of this team going forward. And probably it's playoffs or bust, I would think. Although with the Illich and Olympia Entertainment Group, who the fuck knows at this point anymore? But you see none of that. This is a continuation of the same crap we've seen for years. And maybe a a microcosm of the season came on Sunday when the team had already lost one game, the suspended finale from Saturday night, tied 3-3, rain comes, lose 4-3 on a uh, base hit by Adam Eaton in that game. And they go into the next game an hour later against the Sox, 2-1 the series. At that point, they'd lost two or three up to Minnesota at home earlier in the week. So they're playing pretty much two garbage teams playing out the string almost at this point. The White Sox coming off, you know, only hours prior, their ace, their best pitcher, their star, Chris Sale, taking a knife or scissors to all of the 1976 throwback, throwback jerseys because he didn't want to pitch uncomfortably in that uniform on Sunday. And this is a great juxtaposition of the Tigers organization and Chris Sale, because please give me 25 Chris Sales. Please give me 25 guys who are so desperate to win that they would go out of their way to say, look, this 1976 piece of crap, Ralph Lauren-looking, uniform with collar, whatever it is, it it looked like something that some preppy would be wearing today. I don't want to pitch in this thing. I want to win. I don't want my arm slot messed up. I I, I don't want to wear this. And because of business interest, the Chicago White Sox told Chris Sale, no, we're wearing this jersey today. Go out there and, and tough it out. And Chris Sale said, fuck you, and started destroying jerseys like Edward Scissorhands. Please give me 25 guys who desperately want to win, because we don't have that in Detroit. We do not have that. We have not had that. We have one guy maybe in Ian Kinsler who might take 
an eight-inch serrated knife to a uniform. That's about it. And this goes back years. This goes back to when Octavio Dotel, a few years ago, said the same thing about this organization, that there was no leadership. The guy tried to call a team meeting after game four of the Oakland A's series in the ALDS. He went around to all the leaders, Victor Martinez, Miguel Cabrera, begging them to say something to the group, say something to the media, get the guys revved up. And what did Miggy say? What did Victor say? Nah, we're not interested in that. A guy who had just come here a few months prior in a trade, a setup guy, begging the star players to take some ownership of the team. They refuse. And nothing has changed. There is no urgency. And it comes from the top. It comes from a manager in Brad Ausmus, who on Sunday, after losing that game, after you know being a week away from the trade deadline, where the Tigers have to shit or get off the pot, basically, figure out what they're going to do. Are they going to acquire maybe a couple relief pitchers, maybe get a fifth starter, when you already this pot committed with a $200 million payroll and never winning a World Series, although you spent a billion dollars in salary over the last decade? Or are you going to fall eight or nine or ten games back of Cleveland, have no chance of making it, and maybe put Kinsler, Verlander, K-Rod on the market? This week is crucial. And how important was it to Brad Ausmus? The Tigers down 4 nothing in the eighth inning. Chances of winning probably less than 1%, even against the White Sox. They get a home run in the top of the eighth. Okay, still go down 4-1 to one in the top of the ninth inning. Miraculously, they got home runs in that game from Nick Castellanos. Tyler Collins. Jared Saltalamacchia, they somehow, against David Robertson, a guy who has owned them for years, whether it would be on the south side of Chicago or in New York, excuse me, yes, in New York, but prior, when he was a a setup man slash closer there, we've never hit him. We hit three home runs off him in the top of the ninth to tie the game. Incredibly, unbelievably. This game became... Absolutely crucial. You can't lose that game now. You can't. With everything I just told you, all of the backstory. Cleveland getting swept at the hands of the Baltimore Orioles. A similarly flawed team. A team that, if you take away their record against the Tigers, I think they're five or six games over five hundred for the year. You've got to win that game. You have to. You've got to at least try to do everything possible in your capacity as the manager of this team to try everything, all cards on the table, all hands on deck. And what does he do, Brad Ausmus? He brings in that fat slob bust who they sent home last fall because he wasn't giving full effort. A guy who in Toledo this year was pitching for most of the year like garbage. I think his whip was over 1.5 or 1.6. Caught lightning in a bottle for about a week and was lights out. The Tigers call him up. Bruce Rondone. Bruce Rondone. 
that was the person that they, they brought in. Not Shane Green, who has been pretty lights out as a setup man since they moved him into that role. Because he had thrown 28 pitches in the last four days. And he supposedly had warmed up five or six days. Who gives a shit? You've got a $200 million payroll and a dying owner. Throw Shane Green out there. And if you're so worried about ruining his arm, Shane Green, bring in K-Rod. Bring in Francisco Rodriguez, who's been unbelievable, stands one game this week that I happen to be at, unfortunately. But the guy has been great. Do you bring him in? No. You bring in Bruce Rondon. And let me tell you about Bruce Rondon's stats this year, okay? The man has a 5.680 ERA. His FIP, fielding independent pitching, is 6.22. His war, wins above replacement, minus 0.3. So basically, any smoke, any jabroni that he was pitching with in Toledo would probably be better than Bruce Rondon. You want to know what's even more insane about Bruce Rondon entering that game or his performance this year? Bruce Rondon's batting average with for balls in play. Batting average is balls in play. So these are the balls that actually get hit. It's 185. 185. So Bruce Rondon's garbage performance isn't even at a sustainable level. He's going to get worse, folks. 185. That's insane. This is the guy who brought, Brad Osmus decided to bring in in a must-win game after the team had just come miraculously back from a 4-1 deficit. Keep in mind, not only all those things I mentioned prior in the last five or ten minutes on this rant, keep in mind the day before in that suspended game because Chris Sale cared more about winning than selling some piece of shit 1976 jersey that no one would be caught dead wearing in Chicago, a place where you can easily be caught dead, by the way. They had to go to a bullpen by committee spring training game on Saturday night, the White Sox. Their bullpen was completely depleted after Robertson gave up those three home runs. They had Carson Fulmer, who's not ready to be in the majors, who was drafted in the 2015 draft, and maybe one or two other guys. You had to extend that fucking game. But does this Dartmouth dummy do that? No. He brings in that fat slob Bruce Rondon. And let me tell you something. I know Joel Zumaya from 2006. I was friends with Joel Zumaya from 2006. And Senator... You are no Joel Zumaya from 2006. He ain't that guy, Brad. You haven't figured that out yet? And predictably, they lose the game. Staying six games behind at that point of the Cleveland Indians, who, like I said, are struggling themselves. But the Tigers in the last 10, I think, are 5-5, five and five, even after they beat the Red Sox last night with JV on the mound. Six games back, they got Pelfrey tonight against uh, Stephen Wright, not the stand-up comedian. 
but supposedly one of the top 10 pitchers in baseball in the American League this year. Mike Pelfrey in Boston against that lineup. Well, that should be fun. Maybe we can have the Washington Nationals bail us out some more against the Indians in Cleveland and stay in this race because every other team in baseball seems to be able to beat the Cleveland Indians, but not us. So now where are we? We're still six days away from the deadline with in purgatory, not knowing what to do. Do you go and trade for a reliever so you can send Rondon on the first bus back to Toledo where he belongs? With Zimmerman coming back hopefully in the next 10 days, with Daniel Norris coming back, whether he can help you in the rotation or in the bullpen as a lefty. J.D. Martinez starting a rehab stint in Toledo. He'll be DH in the next couple nights. He'll should be back soon. What do you do? What do you do? There is no easy answer because Brad Osmus has cost this team three or four games this season. At the very least, I'm, I'm being generous to this idiot. You win some of those games, and it's a no-brainer. Look, you got a $200 million salary. You're two or three games back of the Indians, team that's flailing right now. And you're getting all of these guys back, as Ken Hollywood likes to say, trade deadline acquisitions. It'd be a no-brainer. You pretty much have to go for it. They've got two of the top ten pitchers in American League in war, believe it or not, right now. 20% of the best pitchers and wins above replacement are in Detroit. Justin Verlander and Michael Fulmer. You get one other guy to come in and and pitch very well, like Zimmerman did in the first month and a half, and two guys just not to be total shit on those other two days, J.D. coming back, this team is formidable. Anthony wants to chime in about the Tigers. Yeah, um, I think you make a lot of good points. I guess my question would be, do you think Osmus has put them in this position to like kind of be in no man's land? I blame Osmus and I blame Al Avila. And I'll tell you why. Okay? Without J.D. Martinez, this team cannot afford to have Stephen Moya as bad, as terrible as he is defensively in, in AAA, in Toledo. They can't afford it. You already have, I'm going to read some numbers to you. Jose Iglesias with a 658 uh, on base plus slugging, 658 OPS. Andrew Romine, 632 OPS. Mike Avilas, 509 OPS. Uh, James McCann, 539 OPS. You already have those four guys playing on a very regular basis right now mm-hmm. who are well below the standard. I mean, that's, those are terrible numbers. Your catcher having a 539 OPS, I don't care how great he is catching a game or throwing out runners, that's awful. Uh, Salto, Salto Amakia has been very good in crucial situations, but even for the even for him since the first month, he hasn't been consistent at all. But I'm not going to I'm not going to bitch about a backup catcher who's uh, tied so many games, given him uh, winning home runs, but he hasn't been very consistent either. They're not getting a ton out of the catching position since JD went down over a month ago. They've got nothing out of right field. Iglesias is who we thought he was. Uh, R.I.P. Denny Green. 
he's going to have some. He's not going to hit well. He's going to play the field. He's going to make some stupid plays because he's a he's a flashy moron. That's what that's what he is. I want to give you a number, Anthony. We've got a guy who's in Double A, who got sent down to Triple A, got into a fight with Lloyd McClendon, the manager down there, then got sent to Double A. Started the season in Detroit, and by September he might be in the in the New York Penn League. That's Anthony Ghost. Anthony Ghost in 91 at bats in Detroit before he got sent down had a 628 OPS. So that's pretty comparable to Romine, and it's better than Avilas and better than McCann by sizable amounts. And that guy's in double A. And he's playing playing good defensively this year, too. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how, that's how, that's seriously how pathetic some of these guys are. So when you say who's to blame, I don't care how bad Moya's butchering balls. Have him on the bench as a pinch-hitting option late in games, which could have impacted a couple games in the last week. Start him for five or six innings. you got to bring him out because you're terrified of his defense if you're winning by a couple of runs. Then bring him out. I'm not going to complain. Nobody says that, that Stephen Moya is Dave Parker, okay? We know he's terrible in the field. But these other guys I'm mentioning, Avilas, these guys are terrible in almost every sense of the game. Well, At least Moya gives you something. You're describing so Moya comes in, plays first few innings, and then he has to come out because of defensive reasons. Then you would put Gosin, and both of those guys aren't even on the roster. That would actually be a consideration. I, guess, yeah. I never even thought. Well, Ghost is such a cancer that he's oh. just done. Okay. Um, but my point with bringing up Ghost was mm-hmm. as bad as he was with the 628 OPS, mm-hmm. um, and that, that got him sent down, and now he's down two rungs. It's still better than two guys and comparable to another guy who's playing on a regular basis. That's all I'm saying about it, it, that. It sounds to me like you're describing every Tigers team of the last 10 years or so. You know, just, well, this is a little got different. got a lot of holes. This, Their pitching isn't as good. This is a little different because the back end of the bullpen is excellent it's this really year. Good. Mm-hmm. I mean, you saw Dave Dombrowski got to witness last night, which and it's going to lead me to another point. Mm-hmm. Dave Dombrowski got to witness last night something he hasn't had since 2006, and that is... A closer who's basically been without a blemish. Very good. In, in K-Rod. I, Shane Green, who's just been awesome since he got moved to the uh, a setup role and not a starter after he came back from the injury. Justin Wilson struggled last night, but Justin Wilson's been very good as a lefty out of that bullpen. Um, and he got a big out on a strikeout, even though he dug himself a hole. That led to a four-out save by K-Rod. Now, I want to go back to a comment that um, Brad Ausmus had made a few weeks ago when the Tigers were in Toronto, another crucial game, another Brad Ausmus loss. When the Tigers had a chance to close out a game against the Blue Jays, they were up by, they were up by a run, a couple men on for Troy Tulowitzki, who was just burning up the league at that point. And instead of bringing K-Rod for a four-out stave, he brings in Alex Wilson. Another issue where he's not bringing his high-leverage players in high-leverage situations. Alex Wilson gives up a single or a double, I can't remember, but it scored two runs. Tigers lose that game. And after the game, the media asked him, well, why didn't you bring in K-Rod for a four-out save? Which he did on June 1st against the Angels, in which K-Rod was flawless. And he says, I don't want to do that. I'm not comfortable in doing that. You know, K-Rod is not 25 anymore. Like, once again, 
Urgency. Where is it? It was a no-brainer, that game, to bring in K-Rod. And where is his ethos? Where is any sense of continuity? Because he doesn't bring him in in that situation. And then last night, here comes K-Rod against the Boston Red Sox, the most potent offense in all of baseball. He's got to face the top of the lineup in the ninth inning, and he's got to get that big out in the eighth. Mm -hmm. Gets the out in the eighth, comes in, gets him out. Tigers win that game. I'm not saying that K-Rod should come in for four-out saves every day or even once a week, but there are extreme situations where you bring in your best reliever. Teams like the Houston Astros understand this. You don't, have to, you don't save the guy. You don't keep him on a shelf when you might never be able to use him. You bring him in when you have that opportunity. And K-Rod should have been in that game against Toronto. He should have been in the game on Sunday against the White Sox to extend that game while the White Sox bullpen was in tatters. Keep that game going. Hopefully in the bottom ninth, you got Miguel coming up. Maybe they get a couple runs. Maybe at that point you either pitch K-Rod the second inning or you use Shane Green, who had thrown 28 pitches in three days or four days. Who cares? But there is no sense of urgency, and that's why this team is in this purgatory situation. Six games back, six days to the deadline. Where do we go from here? Where? That was my next question is um, next week at your podcast, do you think you're going to be talking about them being uh, buyers or sellers? I think if they, I mean, look, they could easily fall right back. I mean, they got Pelfrey tonight against Boston. It would be a miracle if they win that game. Um, if they fall eight or nine back in the next six days, mm-hmm. how can you justify doing anything but selling? But they won't, I don't think. I think what they'll do if they're around where they're at, I think they'll add one reliever uh, to use in the Rondon capacity. Mm -hmm. They're using Rondon. You would hope that they realize that Rondon is garbage and that he's never going to – if he ever turns out to what they thought he was going to be, it ain't going to be anytime soon. Mm -hmm. So I could see them adding that. I can't – the, and, and, and that's I want to before we go to the break and I want to call Henson I want to bring up one thing else because our good friend Lynn Henning was back at it this week he wrote a couple articles that are just absolutely I gotta read these to you because this is just fucking unbelievable <laughs> we've all known that he's had a love affair with uh, Dave Dombrowski for many years maybe Jessica knows this who wrote those uh, books those sex books about Gray, well, Fifty Shades of Gray. Oh, I Who's don't know. I don't, don't know who the author of that book is. I watched the movie once. Okay. I didn't read the book because well, I, I, I have a life. And I think, you know, I think whoever that. wrote those books, I think Dave Dombr- or excuse me, Lynn Henning is uh, ripping off and using in his Dave Dombrowski articles because this is. I'm not making this up. This is what he wrote yesterday about Dave Dombrowski. Okay, listen to this, Jessica. Okay, I'm listening. All right, and he's talking about Dave Dombrowski, the Tigers' former general manager, current president of the uh, Boston Red Sox. Quote, he, of course, was dressed expensively. Tan and yellow pinstripe suit. Cream Oxford shirt. Gold, brown, and white tie. An ensemble cap by Dombrowski's mound of immaculately coiffed silver silver hair. Who talks like that? Uh, Romance novelists? Definitely. What are you... What? This is the same guy who once compared his looks to Cary Grant. Uh, uh, Lynn, I'm gonna uh, have to go ahead and Google Lynn, him. It might so be time for some uh, conversion therapy, Lynn. 
Don't read that again. I might start sweating or something. Uh, it's pretty hot. I, I'm, I was wondering when they were going to get into the sex toys and torture chamber. <laughs> then he goes on to say, he smiled impeccably. His comments doubled as targets bullseye with alienating, excuse me, alternating rounds of command and diplomacy. And with a clear message that Detroit, like Miami and Montreal, and past Dombrowski stops, is history. He views like photos from a scrapbook with a happy distance. Okay. So we have that article where he, once again, I, I don't even want to go into what things I'm, that romance know. novels are yeah, made of exactly. for four hundred, Alex. Yeah, really. I mean, it's pretty. It was pretty. Yeah. I don't even want to know. That's too deep. Okay. So then the other day he writes this article where the Tigers are going to be into this huge budget slashing mode. Which look, if the Tigers want to slash budget right now, and in a market where the Boston Red Sox just had to give the 15th best prospect in all of baseball for Drew Pomeranz, uh, basically a guy who has been a bust up until this season pitching in Petco Park, which is as big as Yellowstone. A market where the Cubs had to just give up one of their best prospects for Araldis Chapman, a closer who shoots the gun in his garage when he gets mad at his girlfriend. Huh. He had to give up multiple prospects and one of their best guys for a closer. That's the market right now. That is the market. So if you want to trade Justin Verlander, who, like I said, is in the top 10 of war in, Amer- in the American League, creeping in on Cy Young uh Votes at some point, maybe, if he keeps pitching like this. Or Ian Kinsler, who's having another great year, one of the top five or six position players in wins above replacement. <laughs> or K-Rod. Or whoever, if you want. This is the time. But listen to what Lynn Henning said. Prepare to see more likely this November and December any of the following names relocate. Justin Verlander, J.D. Martinez, Francisco Rodriguez, Ian Kinsler, Justin Upton. Not to mention Victor Martinez who because of his contract and age is more likely to interest a team next July if his body and hitting skills can stay aligned for another year. Big names with big salaries and with significant market value remaining. The Tigers will patiently wait on the best possible trade overtures for their high-profile veterans. And because they don't expect to be wowed this week, it's easy for Avila to say, as he did Saturday, that the team will likely sit still in the hours before the August 1st deadline. That's not why the Tigers are sitting still, you dumb fuck. There is no better time than right now to trade a Justin Verlander, to deal a K-Rod, to, to send a Ian Kinsler away. There is no better time. Did you Have you seen the market? Have you seen what it's been set at? Drew Pomeranz for the 15th best prospect in baseball. A closer. A closer. For three or four prospects from the Cubs. You are never going to get better value for those guys than now. And you're definitely not, you imbecile. Going to get better value in five or six months during the offseason. Everybody who knows anything about baseball knows that, you dumb motherfucker. I have a question for you. Would, okay. you, would you trade uh, Cabrera? If you could. Um, well, you, I mean, just, you just don't look, think he has as high of a value? You've got to wait another three or four days. because, mm-hmm. And really, this is, like I said, if the Tigers are two or three games back, which they could have easily been if you split those two games against the mm-hmm. White Sox. If you right. split them. The rest of the week, you make up another game, maybe on the. You're four back with all of these guys coming back, making maybe a trade. 
you don't have to tr- make a huge deal and give up a Kristen Stewart <laughs> or a Joe Jimenez, but you can make a minor deal. This team would be so much better if you could add a situational lefty reliever to bring in. Uh, if at some point Jimenez can come up in the next few weeks and replace Rondon, if the bullpen could be set, JD comes back and hits like we know he can. I mean, the difference the difference between JD being in that lineup and Avilas or Romine is just it, you can't even almost can't even quantify it. Right. You're talking about a guy who's a pretty good defensive player who gets a lot of outfield assists, not the greatest guy in the world, mm-hmm. but compared to guys who are middle infielders, and his bat, I mean, please, he's the second best hitter on the team right. behind Cabrera. So, yeah, or, and, and Kinsler. So you you have you have a completely different team. If Zimmerman, the reason he was struggling maybe was because of injury. I mean, seriously, if this team was two or three back, I'd be very excited. Mm-hmm. The fact that they're five and a half back leaves me in a position where this could be all over in a few days. Well, they're only four back of the wild card. But four, but yeah, but you're, they, they yeah, have but to you're, pass Toronto, Houston, and Boston, like two two of those teams, which would right. be pretty difficult. Yeah, and you're you can't count on the wild card. Mm-hmm. You've got to count. You've got to. And that's a one game situation at right. best, anyway. Mm-hmm. So no, you can't count on that. You've got to set the Indians as as the standard. Okay. And I don't know that that's that's basically what I wanted to discuss about the Tigers, and we went a little longer, but I. I mean, I, I just think it was worth talking about because by the time we're on next week, I think we'll see where they went. And it's why, you know, Osmus last year, they were only three games back of the wild card when they sold all those guys, when they sold Price and they Jeez. sold Cespedes. They were only three games back. They're further back now than they were last year, at least in the wild card. And they, were Osmus, pretty, they were pretty far back in the division. Yeah, though, right? but Osmus is complaining mm-hmm. about the fact they sold last year, mm-hmm. you're partially the reason that they sold last year, Brad Ausmus, for the games you cost them, and you're partially the reason that this team is in a in a better position where you could say, look, we're all in. We're going all in this year because there was only one team ahead of us. The Royals are struggling. The White Sox are done. We got one team. Light, laser beam focus on the Indians. We're getting these guys back, add a couple pieces, and we're right there. But because of the games he's cost them, because there's no sense of urgency, like he, because this this franchise thinks I think the season ends in December 31st, mm-hmm. and not in late September, early October, it, it's just mind-boggling. All right, that's the Tigers talk. When we come back, we'll spend a few minutes with Greg Henson talking about the death of 1051, and then we'll spend the last hour dissecting the Red Wings offseason to date with Prashant Iyer and our in-studio guest Anthony Ciotti. We'll be back after couple minutes you're listening to a previously recorded episode of the detroit sports rag podcast i'm going to my media all right we're back on the dsr podcast jeff moss here with uh, anthony ciotti filling in jessica turning all the knobs (laughs) tweaking them rubbing them uh on the line correcting them yeah on the i'm really not doing all that don't listen to him on the line, uh, out of Pittsburgh, is Poor the uh, program director, content director, sports content. Uh, he's got many titles at uh, WPGB uh, 970 ESPN. I don't know. This is your bio. Yeah, that's supposedly. it. Who cares? Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I think you know him as yeah. the uh, former uh, Dick who used to be the program director at DFN in 1270. His name former. is Greg. Well, you used to be there. Are you currently at either? 
No, but I'm not a former. Did you say former what? Former PD at 1270 in DFN. Oh, I thought you said former dick. No, you're a current dick. I mean, there's no question yeah, about that. Yeah, I was going to say, nothing no. former about it. No, you, you know, anyone reading his Twitter <laughs> account and uh, his Donald Trump uh, support. Poor, I never poor Nicole. About, I never tweet about Trump. Poor Nicole. Poor Nicole. For many reasons. But uh, <laughs> uh, so let, I, I wanted to get you on. We you, we haven't talked since uh, 1051 took a shit and croaked. So you went on Ryan Schuling's show in Lansing mm-hmm. after that uh, debacle ended, uh, the greater media sports experiment closed down. And, I mean, there's a lot of stuff we can talk about. Uh, the first thing I would, I'd want to discuss basically is, did you ever get any contact at any time over the two and a half plus years that 105.1 was in business to come and save their ass? Uh, no, but I had friends in the building. So, well, I mean, there was some third-party stuff, but it never went anywhere. But there were friends in the building who would tell me that, you know, there were guys trashing me left and right. Like, uh, Matt Derry was doing it. Um, uh, Mazaway was doing it. And then some other, you know, guys who you probably wouldn't know that were behind the scenes were rumored to be doing it. I never heard their stuff directly. But, you know, every, every time, you know, something came up every time they fired a PD, my guy would say, yeah, man, I just, I don't know. They just, these guys say you're, they trash you every chance they get. And so it never really, you know, nothing ever really happened because of that. Do you think they were trashing you just to be assholes or are they doing it because they figured if you came in that they were gone? Well, they, they knew that they would have accountability. I mean, I wouldn't have let a 1.2 ride for more, for very long, particularly if you weren't getting any progress. So I think, I think uh, the, the the people in in question were, were didn't want to didn't want to be held accountable. Uh, that's the best I can put it. I mean, there was no other reason other than maybe maybe someone worried that they wouldn't you know uh, have the ear of the higher ups if I came in. Um, but you know, it was never really. It, it was that's what bothered me more than anything was the fact that. You know, people that I hired, people that I treated well, people that I paid well uh, at TFN, guys I don't know, uh, like Tom Mazaway, who I think I met him twice in my life, a total of five minutes. Consider yourself you know, lucky. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah, those people trashing me left and right. And the Mazaway stuff stemmed from a prank call you made. Well, yeah, and that, yeah. I, <laughs> and that pissed me off. I didn't right. say a word. I told you, you before you called it that I wouldn't. Right. And anyone who listened to that podcast where we did, where I said, I'm going to call Mazaway's concierge phone number and I'm going to ask him if he can come and deliver some groceries to me. You're like, I'm out of this. I'm done. I have nothing to do with this. I'm not talking. Uh, you per- <laughs> you went out of your way to distance yourself from my uh, assholery. And it's still at the end. I'm not sure if he heard it firsthand or if Derry probably listened to it and then told him what happened. Uh, but yeah, the guy's bad mouthing you for absolutely no reason. What I find hilarious is these guys are now all out of jobs. Uh, they're they're they are, you know, they've got no and gig. probably probably. I mean, I don't know when they're going to work again. I mean, the, the the best option was for that station to win, and I don't see what's going to happen now as far as that goes. In, in, you know, when when I first broke the news. That 105.1 was was flipping from their adult contemporary 
to do sports back in, I think, July. It was late July of 2013 when I broke that. And I said, look, there's only one person that really they should hire to be the program director. We've had our issues over the years going back 12 or 13 years. We've had times where we were were at peace. We've had times where we were in a war. We've been times when it's been ugly. It's times when we've been friendly. Uh, But I said, look, if you want to make this work, you hire Henson. You bring him back from Pittsburgh. He knows the market. He was successful at WDFN. Uh, you know, it, there, you need someone local. Who else are you going to hire? Bring in Henson. And what, not only what's amazing to me is, okay, so, you know, maybe they, they thought that you were too controversial at the beginning. Maybe there was some not a great mix between maybe your personality and what you would have done with the station and what greater media's overall outlook would have been. So maybe, okay, we give someone else a chance. So they hire Jason Dixon. What's absolutely insane to me is after that failed, after they brought in a guy in from Tampa who didn't know the Detroit market, who didn't know who Stephen Tulloch was, uh, who's just an absolute dork, who had no ability to program this age. So that failed. When they didn't bring you in at the second chance, and then Wynn hired a guy who was in his late 40s, who was a, never had been a program director in his life, who was basically a basketball guy who did pregame stuff for the Los Angeles Lakers, I believe. Uh, no local ties whatsoever. Had no clue about this market in Dave Shore. To me, that was the death knell. That they didn't go local, that they didn't call you even. They didn't even, they didn't even contact you at that point. No. It, 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 it's, just, it's insanity. It's just absolute. And, and they have no one to blame but themselves for the clusterfuck that, that, they, that they caused. Well, and not just that. Is you know, it's the smartest guy in the room mentality. You know that. It's like Rock, smartest guys in the room. They they know everything. No one else matters. And I think that was their undoing. Was I think that they thought you know? And it's funny because what I would tell people who start sports stations, if it's something I would be interested in, they'd say, "Let me help you avoid all the mistakes I made at DFN and every other sports station makes when they launch." And of course, they did. They hired the first four guys in the door. You know, I mean, it, it was ridiculous. Um, you know, then then they let their best talent go in Drew Lane, even though you know maybe he wasn't the perfect fit. He's all they had, and he had not only had some rating, he was all the revenue. And when that was over, it was over. I think, and we haven't talked about, but I think what sped up the decision to leave sports format too was the sale. They knew it was for sale because two weeks before they flipped the format, they laid off people across the country. Uh, and, you know, you want those guys off the boat. Yeah, you're so breaking up pretty bad. When done in November, all those salaries are gone. What's that? Yeah. You're breaking up pretty bad. Can you move, like, toward a window or something? I am moving toward a window. How's can, that? Can you jump out a window? Well, <laughs> I could. I mean, I didn't say all that, Jeff. That's not nice. Listen, listen. The guy is good. Is, is in Pennsylvania, swing state. He's going to be voting for Trump. So we'll take any help we can get at this point. <laughs> so yeah. So so Beasley bought. So Beasley in the middle of the podcast. So last week, last Tuesday night, Belizean's sitting here right across from me, four feet away. We're discussing what happened with him at one hundred five one. How things fell apart. I get a text message from you that Beasley Broadcasting had purchased Greater Media. It, it seems right. to me that they were lying to everyone. You know, they were telling they were they're telling Tony Paul, uh, "Oh, we're in it till 2018. We're going to give it five years." They're telling you know Belizean left. 
Uh, Grand Rapids, a pretty decent job he had. There always was stable. Comes to Detroit Sports 105.1 uh, to take a take a chance trying to resuscitate that channel. And it just seems like they were lying to everyone that because these, you know, the, I mean, you've been in the radio business for three decades. You know how these things work. The sales don't happen overnight. Someone doesn't call up and say, hey, uh, we want to buy your properties. Oh, yeah, okay. How much? Okay, and it's done. I mean, these things take months and months and months. And, yeah, and, and that's why they wanted to get two weeks before they flipped the format, Jeff, they, they laid off a bunch of people throughout the company because they wanted to make the bottom line look better. You got to get these salaries off the books by November when the new company takes over. That's, I think they'd still be sports if they weren't going to sell them. Really? I do. Because the one they got there now, it doesn't cost anything to run. Well, you, this is what you said to me when, because when we were talking about, because we were here, we were hearing conflicting rumors. You know, some people were telling us that they were going to flip. Some people were telling us that they were going to remain a sports station, that they were in it for the long haul. Uh, you're getting third party inquiries about whether you're interested in maybe taking the job. So there's a lot of there was a lot of mixed stuff, but one thing you told me about maybe ten days before they flip was, you know, you're not going to make any more money. You're not going to make much money if you flip and do a you know, hip hop or whatever. Right. You, the the money and, and where things are moving towards, talk radio, sports talk radio. That was where they were going to be able to ma- maximize their profit. So it made no sense to flip it. Right. That's why. That's why I still think they'd be sports if they hadn't sold the company. The company was for sale. They needed to clean up the balance sheet in Detroit. And, you know, Riff and CSX do great. It's this one that's bad. So what do you do? You get rid of all your expense. I mean, if they truly lost $2 million a year, as some of those guys are saying to anyone who will listen, then now you can trim that down to maybe you're just losing a couple hundred thousand a year. And then if you can get this bounce, to, you know, menagerie to move up, Maybe uh, maybe you can make a little bit of money, but I mean, if that station doesn't crack the top ten, I don't know how much money it's going to make. You you mentioned earlier that Derry was one of the people bad mouthing before he was let go. I think in February or March, I can't remember yeah. when it was. Did did you hire Matt Derry? I did. I brought him up from W. I don't know some station in Cleveland. They went under. Right. And Dave Pass said, "Hey, can you talk to my buddy?" And I said, sure. I called him, I liked him, I brought him up, and he was great for all those years. And apparently, somewhere along the line, Matt Derry didn't want to work with me anymore. That is like the definition of biting the hand that feeds you. Like, that's cold. <laughs> well, it's really weird because I left town. I never I never had anything to say about Matt. I was in Texas, and, you know, I was going around the country on my world tour. And then I get, you know, then, then this happens, and I thought to myself, What's this guy's problem? It's the same thing Sean told you last week. What did I ever do to you other than hire you? You talk to me. You know what I mean. You talk to me. That's what it is. You talk. Well, to Well, whatever. Me. I'm not going to. I'm not going to list who I talk to based right. on what Matt Derry thinks. No, but that, that's what it is. That's the common denominator between you and Belizean. Belizean was told you got. You're in a fantasy baseball league with the DSR. You can't be trusted. You must be the league. Uh, you talk to me on Twitter. We go back and forth. There's no like, like I said, we've we've had our ups and downs. There's no question. It's all been documented on the website, on Twitter. You can look it up. You know, dramatic reading by famous yeah, actors. Yeah, but we had a guy who was in the the television show Justified. Yep. Read our one of our, our Twitter wars for Christ's sake. We should we should play those one day on on the on, oh, on here. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah, Jessica never heard like our Twitter no. war. Oh. We had we had. You remember that guy DTP Taylor Phillips who came in that yeah. one day. 
He he read my part, and then we had a professional actor read Henson's part. Ian Reed Kessler, who's a Detroiter, but he's been on Justified. He's been in a lot of movies. Uh, he's a and he also does like uh, sound. Uh, um, what's it called? Uh, voiceover work too. So it was pretty funny. But yeah, we need to get Stephen. Stephen is it Ewan from uh, The Walking Dead? He's a cult man. Get that Troy guy to read my part next time. <laughs> All right, and yeah, Kessler can read my part. Yeah, yeah, we'll exactly. work. We'll work that out. So okay. So now one hundred five one flames out. Less than three years, and, and you, me, everybody. I mean, you still are obviously big into Michigan football, the Detroit sports team. I mean, you're the you're program director at Pittsburgh, and I, I count on one hand how many times you you mentioned Pittsburgh <laughs> on your Twitter <laughs> feed or on your website. You still have Detroit at heart, so you were very desirous of. Having a alternative to ninety seven one yourself, so you could listen to online or where or on an app or whatever. Absolutely. And Whenever something's happening, I tune it in. Right. I mean, to the point where you even subject yourself to some of the crap on ninety seven one, and and you were listening to one zero five one more than I did, uh, even though yeah. you're you know four and a half hours away. My question for you is, what the hell is the future of Detroit sports talk radio? Well, I'll be honest with you. I don't see uh, anything new on the horizon just because, as I told you once before, you know, some company's going to have to take an underperforming FM, and there aren't just there just aren't that many of them right now, you know, that I can think of from the major operators um, that would want to flip to it. It's a very desirous format, but it's got to be done correctly, and there's got to be commitment because it's not pretty the first two years. But down the road, it can pay huge dividends. I mean, I got to hand it to XYT. They stuck with it. They did the right things. They put it on FM, and you know now they're just printing money because they they played it well. Um, so I just don't know what the future holds for it. I don't think you're going to get any alternatives uh, on the FM dial for a long, long time. I really don't. Um, I just don't know who would flip. Can anything work on AM? It really depends. I mean, it depends on what station. I mean you know, what the commitment is to it. I mean, obviously all you hear is people want a, an alternative, right? Especially to Valenti and to, you know, to maybe Stoney and Bill in the morning, but that didn't bear it out in the ratings. You know what I mean? No one made the effort and I know it wasn't great, but it, it, there's, there's some evidence that they didn't even try it. You know, like people weren't even willing to flip over and give it a minute because, you know, I got to be honest with you. You know, the last two mornings, I turn on that other station in the mornings, and they're talking about crap in their pants while I'm trying to eat a sandwich, you know, on the way to work. Or if I got a granola bar in my mouth, I don't want to hear that crap. <laughs> you know, I'm serious. And well, yeah, I mean, bad, 97. Bad crap in your pants. And this morning about uh, eating lobster, the spider of the sea and all this crap. And I'm like, you know what? I don't want to hear this in the morning. I'm trying to eat my granola bar. <laughs> no, I mean, I listen, I, I understand it. And to me, that when it's all said and done and the history of 105.1 is written, the most disappointing thing of all is that they never gave any alternative to 97.1. That's all we never. asked for. And instead, you know, they put on Drew Lane in the afternoon. And to me, the guy's a poor man's Howard Stern. Uh, who copied mm-hmm. Howard Stern's basically his shtick uh, without ever giving him credit for it, uh, and did it at, at, you know in, in a provincial Detroit fashion, watered down. That was Drew Lane, 
And I had no interest in that. And then the talent that they put around it, you know, can you imagine you running a radio station for two and a half years, not getting the ratings, and guys like Mazaway, guys like Armani and Rico Beard made it the whole in two and a half years? It's unheard of. It's, hey, it's absolutely unheard of. You know what's funny about the whole the whole mess is is that thing went away so quickly and no one cared. Like there was no 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 go look on social media. People are thrilled that that they're hearing Salt and Pepper and Notorious B.I.G. People like, I know there was that there was no mourning period. There was no mourning. It was like it, it was like <laughs> your, your wife dies and you're dating during the service. Like that. Oh, was, I know nobody cared. <laughs> Nobody I, that, cared. That, that, to me, is the most fascinating thing. No one gave a damn. No, they didn't connect with one person in that market, which I think you have to work hard not to do. You know, I've been in stations that flip formats, and people, for the most part, will love you instantly just because you're new and they want to attach themselves. That station was never able to do that. Not, not one person in a city of 3.5 million gave a damn. No, it's it's absolutely miraculous. When... when for years, people were complaining. I don't want to hear Scott Anderson talk about the Family Guy. I don't want him. I don't want a guy who who we think has probably never had sex talking about the number sixty nine and giggling like a little school child. Uh, I mean, the, the, seriously, there's so much that that station is vulnerable to, but it's really hard when they have monster ratings. They have all the teams, but you never counter programmed against them. They never counter-programmed against them. I think we lost them. And not only do we lose him, Jessica's gone, so we can't even go to a break. Should I, should I scream for Jessica? Go get Jessica and tell her we need to go to a break so we can talk about the Red Wings. Well, that was Henson, and uh, as usual, he had a shitty connection. I, I think the only, t- the only way uh, we'll ever get Henson with a good connection is if he uh, leaves Pittsburgh and comes back to Detroit and we can just plant his ass in the studio. But uh, that was the uh, that was typical Greg Henson. Terrible signal, and then the phone drop drops. I don't know if he's in the freaking mountains in Pittsburgh or what. But, Greg, uh, are you with us? No, he's gone. We oh, can, he we, just yeah. Fine. Did I drop out on you? Yeah. Oh, you're still here. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. I'm here. Uh, that was like uh, that was a nice Houdini act where I thought you were buried under the water for 45 seconds. Well, is there anything before I don't know we go? What to, happened. I don't know. I, I know what happened. Your fucking cell phone sucks. I've never had a problem with it until I talked to you. No. Probably have a hard time getting through. What, would you buy what, through to the depths of hell? Would you buy one of those fucking Tea Party phones that just doesn't want to talk to uh, liberal socialists? No, I just I can't penetrate hell. <laughs> do you Where have Satan po- lives. When you call your wife, do you have a problem? Does the phone drop out too when you talk to her? Yeah, but that's usually just me faking it. Oh. <laughs> Can't hear you. Yeah, right. So, is there anything else? Any other uh, bombs you want to drop, or uh, should we go? Nah, I got nothing. I got to go exercise, man. What? I have to do my calisthenics. You doing Pilates, <laughs> yoga, Bikram yoga? Please, p- no, please, actually, please I, periscope. You work. I, please periscope. You working out? Because that hey, would give me a lot of hits. Don't mock the Bikram <laughs> yoga. That stuff is hard. I'm not saying it's not hard, but. <laughs> you know, Henson and I aren't exactly pictures of health or no, you know, go, sculpted go walk bodies. With my wife, we go walk for a couple miles. That's uh, how okay. we bond. That's how we talk. Yeah. Do, do now, you, is it weird that we go for a walk together and I'm wearing headphones? <laughs> Sounds like my relationship. 
<laughs> so you're getting divorced <laughs> soon, I mean, huh? Every guy's relationship, right. isn't it? <laughs> and every now and then she'll be talking away, and I'll annoyingly take my headphone off and go, "What?" Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Carvel and Matlin over there. All right, Greg. Yeah, right. <laughs> Appreciate you uh, chiming in. It would we'd been remiss if we didn't, you know, touch base before uh, and not discuss the fact that one hundred five one went under. Hopefully, maybe in the near future, uh, something will occur where we have something we can listen to. I don't know what that will be, but uh, if it ever comes to pass, maybe we can talk about it. All right, cool. We'll go from there. All right, thanks, Greg. Uh, uh, all right, see you. All right, later. All right, that was Greg Henson in Pittsburgh with his shitty cell phone signal, as always. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get Prashant Iyer on the phone. We'll bring in Anthony to discuss the Detroit Red Wings offseason. You want to talk about shit show. I mean, Greg Henson's Pittsburgh cell service, you know, sounds crystal clear compared to Ken Holland's moves over the last 25 days, which mind-boggling would be an understatement. We'll be back after this quick break. You're listening to a previously recorded episode of the Detroit Sports Rag Podcast. All right, we're back on the DSR podcast, uh, July 26th. I am Jeff Moss, Detroit Sports Rag podcast. Whew, I'm a little out of breath. You know, it's a little, you know, when you're doing this show pretty much solo, it's a little more work. I but, can uh, pick up a little bit. Yeah, on well, we're going to have a lot more. <laughs> I'm going to have help on this uh, next segment. We haven't really talked much about the Red Wings since July 1st when the free agent uh, signings became known. Only probably maybe spent 10 or 15 minutes on a show a couple weeks ago with uh, Jasper. But we really need to break down what's happened over the last 25, 26 days since free agency opened uh, with this franchise. It, it's depressing. I would advise anyone who is listening either live or on the archive version, if you're, if, if you're listening to this on tape, Press pause, go to your uh, kitchen, get a fifth of whatever liquor, hard liquor that you uh, enjoy, and start drinking because this next segment is going to be depressing. I I don't think any of the three people who are going to be talking about the Red Wings are going to have much positive to say. It's just a total abomination, worse than I even thought it would be before July 1st with Ken Holland. But as I said before, Anthony Ciotti is in studio to discuss the Red Wings. And on the line is the contributor for Winging in Motown and HockeyGraphs.com. Uh, he is a, I don't know, you, farm, what, what, what is the car, cardiology, pharmac, pharmacology? I don't know what to call you, Prashant, but Prashant Iyer, <laughs> what, what, is your, what, what, is, what, what are you going to be when you grow up? Other, so, other than I'm, a despondent, other, other than a despondent Red Wing fan, <laughs> so I'm a licensed pharmacist, finishing my second year of specialization training in cardiology this year. So, what does that actually mean? So, like, obviously, you're just not going to be working at like the local CVS and Walgreens, I guess. I think like, it means you'll yeah, be able so to revive me one after I'm done. I'll, I'll be looking for a position in like a cardiothoracic ICU as the uh, intensive care pharmacist over there. So that'll be the, the goal. So it'll be just medication management at the time of surgery, post surgery, and 
that kind of information. So you're not like divvying out Viagra and Cialis at your local Rite Aid. You'll be way above that. No, I don't do any of that. (laughs) (laughs) Damn, I was hoping for a connection. I'm getting old. <laughs> All right. I so, think we're going to need some heart pills, though, after we go yeah, through. This. After we after the next forty minutes of Red Wing talk, we we'll all are going to need uh, some medication for our heart. So let's get into the transactions in order that the Red Wings have made uh, since July first, and after that, we'll discuss them. So they signed the Islanders' former center Franz Nielsen to a six-year contract. Uh, they brought back Darren Helm for remarkably. Five years, resigned uh, Alexei Marchenko, brought in Thomas uh, Vanek on a pretty club friendly deal, one year contract. In, in, unbelievably, in the uh, ghost of Jordan Tutu, signed Steve Ott to a one year deal for $800,000. And then after that, uh, a couple weeks ago, they re signed Luke Lendenning. To four-year contract, I think for one point eight million a year, and then today we learned that uh, the last shoe to drop, Danny DeKaiser, uh, resigned him for six years, five million dollar AAV, thirty million dollars. When I wrote my article earlier this uh, summer saying what I thought the Red Wings should do, it was basically resign nobody. Um. Forget the free agent market. Play the young players. If Ken Holland wanted to do the exact opposite of what I suggested, and I know that you, Prashanth, had some tweaks on what I thought they should do, but not too many, he couldn't have done it any better with what he's done uh, this offseason. We also forgot to mention, I, I forgot to mention, you know, dumping Pavel Datsuk's contract to Arizona, giving up the right to draft Jacob Chikrin, uh, so they could get that money off the book, so they could sign Nielsen, Helm, and whatever else they've done. Uh, if I to start off, I, I'll go to Prashant first. If you were giving him a, Ken Holland a grade on what has occurred so far this postseason, what grade would that be? And and secondly, what would be the worst move that you think he's made so far? Uh, so I think if I'm grading him, I'm giving him a solid D. Um, and the worst move that I think he's made so far is probably going to be that Darren Helm contract uh, at five years, just under $4 million. I mean, that's a, that's a hefty deal to hand out to a player who has never touched 20 goals, is a, has had some injury issues, particularly concussions that are, that are a bit worrisome, uh, as we know those predisposed people to future concussions. And then simply... The, the production that you saw from him over the last couple of years put in the top six, how much of that is just him riding So now you take away probably the best possession player of the last decade, arguably one of the best players of the last decade, and you're going to say, do the same thing and actually do more because I paid you well above what you actually have shown me. Uh, so I think that's going to be a big-time deal that's going to prevent – uh, a lot of moves from happening. It locks up a roster spot for five years, and it's just it's a lot of money. I mean, none of the deals made were ones that I would give even a B-plus to. Perhaps the, the closest deal that really comes to that is, is the Vanek deal at, at $2.6 million over one year, and I'd probably give him a B for that. But really everything else is, is a C or below, and it's, it's very, very frustrating because it, it just shows poor – 
talent evaluation, both of what you already have and then what's out on the market, and then the insistence on paying market value or even above market value, which I hate the term market value in this instance, but uh, just paying well above that for guys who are, are either on the downside or haven't shown you anything. And I think it's going to put the wings in a very, very difficult position over the next three to five years to be able to turn this ship around. Uh, I can't conceivably see them do that in the next five years based on all the contracts they've just signed. And the one move that you mentioned while we were doing some show prep, Anthony, that we should probably tag along, it happened before July 1st, but and it, was maybe, it might be the best move that he's made, uh, Holland, this offseason, the acquisition of Dylan Sadawi from San Jose, a guy who didn't want to sign with the Sharks for a 2017 third-round pick. At the very least, he would have been a, probably a second or third-round pick this year when re-entering the draft. Some people had him late first round. So we should add that into the mix. But what grade would you give Holland, and what would you say the worst move so far has been? Me? Um, I mean, it's got to be at least a D, maybe an F. Uh, and I happen to agree on the helm uh, re-signing. But since it's already been touched on, I think maybe uh, the Glenn Denning is also really um, poor because it blocks um, some of your uh, some of your young young players. You know, like they can't they would be uh, be harder for them to get Bertuzzi up right. there. Also, Tyler, um, yeah. not we're not bringing back. Uh, <laughs> they might as well at this point. Yeah, right. We're um, not bringing back Todd. Yeah. At least the last, it's it's it's. I haven't been online in the last five minutes. I don't think they're bringing back Todd. Right. But with Ken Holland at this point, I, I would put nothing past him. One point eight million dollars on and guaranteed money uh, per year for four years. For he's twenty seven now. Um, for a player who's essentially a fourth liner and and a, through a lot of metrics, um, Prasanthus touched on this quite a bit. Is one of the worst regular forwards in the entire league. Um, won't be improving. Will probably be, um, you know, trending downward. Uh, years three and four of that deal. Um, that just uh, you can't pay term or money for a fourth liner, and especially one that's like going to be on the downside and one that's also been bad. Right. And to me, I, I D minus mm-hmm. F would be my grade, and and I can't even just pick one move, which is the worst. I, I think the fact that they went out a team that is desperate for help on the blue line, absolutely needing someone who can move the puck out of the zone, get the puck to the forwards, uh, create offense. They went and basically spent all of that money because there really was no depth of defensive help on the free agency market. And they went and superfluously signed all of these forwards. Uh, from Nielsen giving a 32-year-old a six-year contract when, you know, Prashant, you've done all the math on what happens to centers when they enter their mid-30s. It's not pretty. We've seen that for ourselves with Iserman, Fedorov, Zetterberg, absolute Hall of Famer premium players. What happens to them when they get to about 34, 35? They're not the same guy. Uh, and, and, and you can't even put Franz Nielsen in any of, that, in any of those categories of those guys. Uh, even Pavel, injuries, he fell off some over the last couple years. Uh, the fact that they had all of these young players who are ready forward-wise to make the team, Athanasiu, Mantha, maybe Bertuzzi on a fourth line, and then they have done the same thing that they've done for years, signed all of these guys, created a backlog to the point where we were looking before the show, Anthony and I, at that hockey resources.com, and like 
where are they, who who's going to make this roster? Who are they going to lose because there's just no room? They've got Yurko being in the minors. I don't think he's got no options right left. Uh, Pulkinen is, has to be on the team. He's got no options left, and they've made it. They've created a situation where I don't see how Athanasiu, even Athanasiu, can make the team coming out of camp. Uh, Prashanth. Yeah, I mean, looking at, I was kind of walking through some scenarios. So they've got 17 forwards right now. They'll be able to put Franzen and Joe Vital on on long-term injured reserve, potentially be able to put Polkin in on long-term injured reserve. That still only drops you to 14 forwards, which means you're still scratching a couple of guys. I mean, Steve Ott can get buried in the uh, AHL, but I don't see that happening because otherwise I don't really understand what they're doing signing him. No, um, and Steve Ott is the it, Steve, yeah. 13. I mean, Steve Ott is the current 2 2. He's the current Dan Cleary. They signed him because they think they need quote unquote grit on that fourth line. I don't see him being the odd man out. I, I can see them saying, look, Pulkinen has got to play in the top nine maybe the top six forwards. Uh, Anthony Sioux has got to be getting pl- – This you, you can see it coming a mile away because this is the Ken Holland way. Anthony Sioux has got to be playing 18, 19 minutes a game. Uh, it, it's not going to happen in Detroit, so we got to send him down to Grand Rapids. Mantha is a non-starter. There is no chance with this backlog unless half the team gets Zika virus in, Grand, in Traverse City that Mantha makes the team. There's just no way. And – I can't even imagine if, when when Athanasio gets sent down to Grand Rapids to start the year, this fan base is going to revolt again. It, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm. I have zero idea how they're going to get by with it. I mean, it, it really sounds like you're going to see Athanasio and Mantha to start the year in uh, Grand Rapids. I expect Yurko to be a scratch. I expect Polkinen to be on LTIR along with Franzen and then Joe Vital. And then the other guy that you're going to lose out on is Martin Frick. So he's another guy in Grand Rapids who is no longer waiver uh, or waiver exempt, which means he's a guy that's got a clear waiver. So if he's not making your roster, and mind you, he was the the team leader last year in uh, goals per game at .4 goals per game. Um, got a wicked shot, right-hander. He's going to get lost for likely nothing. And again, we don't know how good he's going to be in the in the NHL, but it's a guy who's right-handed, Great shot, led your team in goals, and you're probably going to lose him for nothing. Um, and it's it's just a really, really bad situation. And I think what the Wings are doing is they're operating under a model where they're just pretending that this information isn't out there about what we know about when forwards peak, how they decline, and, and, and things of that nature. It almost just seems like they're pretending it doesn't exist because the, their model is exactly the opposite of what you should be doing. And Anthony... Like I said before the show, I said it's almost like that Holland just has this money. He's got to spend. It's like landing on Monopoly spots and just buying everything up with no plan whatsoever. That they've collected all these forwards. They've got all these excess forwards. Defense, they've got guys like they got Sproul, Jensen, uh, Olette, guys we've never seen really here get any extended time. Uh, those, uh, I, I think all of them, they can't send any of those down. They, they'll either have to stay or they'll be um, exposed to uh, waivers. And it, it just seems like they've – that Holland just collects this talent, 
with absolutely no overall plan. In some ways, they've like passed on an entire generation of prospects, like just not even promoted half of them um, at all. Like Sproul, well, I, I mean, barely. Sproul, who was yeah. a few years ago was the Ontario Hockey League Defenseman of the Year. Yeah, and, and if it, you look at players who've won that award, they're all very good. So, I mean, is he? We don't even know how good he is. Um, Jensen was a better college player than DeKaiser. Um, like, we don't even know if he's any good. Um, they just, I mean, they they obviously watch from the AHL, but do you trust this organization to like properly rate their like? No, they, that's the thing. They can't. I don't trust them to properly evaluate the guys they have in their system. So how are we going to trust them to maybe attempt to trade? I mean, that's what we keep being told, mm-hmm. that, okay, they have all these excess forwards. And not only are they excess forwards, but there's guys who are duplicate talents. Mm-hmm. Um, Yurko Nyquist. Yeah, and know. Tatar. Yeah. I mean, and we keep saying, well, maybe Holland is going to make a trade and trade mm-hmm. some of these excess forwards, but we have – it's almost August – Mm-hmm. There's no rumor. I haven't heard one rumor that yeah. the Red Wings are involved in making any mm-hmm. trades. Right. We know that Holland has been adverse to making deals for the last 15 or 16 years. I mean, you can count on one hand the the trades that he has made of any consequence. I mean, the Hasek Kozlov deal, the Robert Long deal, um, the trade for Matthew Schneider, Brad, Brad Stewart. But those, you know... In the last six or seven years, where's the big deal this guy's made of training someone like a Nyquist or a Tatar? It just doesn't happen. And, you know, one of the other frustrations that the three of us have talked about is the fact that while, you know, people like Prashanth online uh, are, are discussing these issues, I'm, I'm talking about it. Uh, some of the other Red Wing fan websites are discussing it. The stuff we get from either Greg Krupa, Helene St. James, Anser Khan, Ted Colfin is an absolute joke, and it's basically PR for the team. And I'll give you an example, Prashant. You know, there was it was floated by Helene St. James and some of the other Red Wing beat writers a couple weeks ago that acquiring pending free agent 2017, uh, Kevin Shattenkirk defenseman, a guy who would be a great fit for the Red Wings from St. Louis, that the Blues wanted Dylan Larkin. And that was just spread like a virus in Detroit. And people, you know, Red Wing fans are probably reading that if they read the free press or the news and saying, well, of course we're not going to give up, you know, a 19-year-old kid who might be a superstar for for Shattenkirk. Well, it turns out that Andy Strickland, uh, who is a uh, reporter for Fox Sports Midwest and a radio host at KTRS and CBS Sports Radio, says, quote, the report that the Blues asking for Dylan Larkin for Kevin Shattenkirk is humorous and untrue. And this is the kind of this, this is what's so much more frustrating than almost anything else to me is that Holland makes these awful moves that you and I see and Anthony and everyone else, and nobody calls him on it except for us. And when these rumors fall, which I I completely believe that Holland leaks to Helene St. James or whoever that well we can't get Shattenkirk because they want Larkin that gets printed it becomes fact, and it's not true. It, if we were in Toronto and Holland on a daily basis was getting the attacks like that we're, that we're spewing out today, at least I could live with it. But not only do we get the bad moves from Holland, we get the media accomplices letting him get away with it. I do think that people are starting to pick up on it. So you've seen a lot of Twitter buzz about his moves. Um, I, I think we're got, talking to ourselves in a bubble. I think we're talking to ourselves in a well, bubble. It's just analytic Twitter. You're right. Yeah. I, and and Prashant, what, what's your opinion of all that? 
I mean, it's it's very frustrating for me to see. And I think it's been a lot of what I've worked against this year and along with you guys just slowly pushing back. And I do agree with Anthony that I have seen a little bit more disgruntledness with uh, fans. And at least particularly in my feet, I have very few people who are um, Holland truthers or believe that we should appeal to authority because they're always making these correct decisions. I think slowly it's very, it's been very little. But I think we may have nudged the needle a little bit this past year um, with some of the critiques, just because from an analytic standpoint, like it's been a, it's been a tire fire. It's been horrendous the last couple of years, the moves that um, have been made. And it's, it's not, it's not very pretty. And I hate seeing that so much of the information that comes out from the people who have the ability to impact fan minds is very vanilla. Um, it's either very surface level statistics, or like you said, it, it reads like a PR report. This is something the team asked you to print and thus the fans are taking it as bi- as the Bible. And it's, it, it's very frustrating to work against that. I think little by little we'll eventually get there, but it, it hasn't been, uh, an easy process by any means. And I think having to work directly against that is a big part of it. Um, can I, can I take you back? I want to ask about the draft and the trade of uh, Pavel Datsuk. Is that, is that okay? Yeah, that's yeah. fine. Um, what was your opinion on the trade uh, itself? And then um, the uh, subsequent pick of Cholovsky? Cause for me, I, I have been someone who's watched Jacob Trickern a lot. Um, I go to some Sarnia games. My life, my wife lived in Sarnia for quite a while. And um, we're all losers. <laughs> I, uh, We've got the only yeah. person who can say that they've seen many Sarnia Sting games, other than maybe Greg Brady. It's not a bad time. Uh, you know. No, I, uh, watching <laughs> OHL hockey is great. I, I mean, I haven't gone a ton, but whenever mm-hmm. I have, um, it's you know, if, if you want to see the the future NHLers, there's yeah. no better place. I mean, it's 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 better than going to see AAA baseball or AA baseball. I remember going to see Stamkos mm-hmm. uh, when come to Plymouth. And you know, it's it it really is. You know, whether you're going up the Flint uh, or go to Sarnia, you can see some great players. And you went and saw uh, Jacob Shikran many times, and you yeah. were pretty strong on your opinion, Anthony, that that the Red Wings were really, you know, the the media was saying, well, what a great trade they gave up uh, that suit, they got freed up space. Mm-hmm. I don't think fans realize the the, the drop off between Chikrin and Chalowski, and I think you can maybe uh, speak to that a little. Yeah. So one of my kind of problems that we haven't even, we haven't touched on yet is um holland over the last few years has talked about how the wings haven't had access to top talent um last year you know uh kyle connor and matthew barzal fell only a couple picks away from where they were picking in the mid-teens uh they did get dylan larkin uh, four drafts ago and he ended up being elite and then this year they had chicken fall to their lap um so they've had access you know could have traded up a couple for connor for example um, they gave away nothing or gave away that contract to get rid of, you know, and lost chicken for that. Um, so they've missed a chance to kind of get cycle in elite talent that they normally wouldn't have had access to in the top 10. Um, so I've had a problem with that. Um, you said, you said earlier that you saw somewhere with the difference between Chikrin and mm-hmm. Chalowski. Mm-hmm. Chikrin, a guy who might be ready next year, right. a defenseman, mm-hmm. a puck moving defenseman and Chalowski, who by Holland's old admission is three to four years away from getting right. out of college. Yeah. You said I think fifty around fifty spots. Yeah, Prospect Stats had this nice little tool where they could, um, based on like production and league, um, were uh, projecting like a fair value draft pick draft pick range. And uh, Chikrin was around the seventh or eighth, if I remember correctly, and Cholowski was like near sixty. So they compounded that trade by like picking someone like really reaching in that pick. 
Um, he might end up being good. We don't know. And Chikrin might end up busting. But um, to me, that sounded like it just seems like compounding a bad deal. Um, well, the only thing you can go by in the, the draft track. is what right. what what talent evaluators are saying. I mean, right. yeah, anything could work out. I mean, Datsuk and Zetterberg were what sixth and seventh round draft picks, right. and so anything could happen. But when you're basing it on the fact that Cholowski was considered at least until the last week a mid second round pick, some people had moving him moving up, right? Um, and Chikrin being at one point the second best prospect. Two. He was a number one, Matthews. He was also number one pick in the OHL draft his year. So he's been a top player in his age group for right. years. What, what was your opinion of that? Did you think that was underreported by, you know, that the, it was basically reported not only by the uh, Red Wings pom pom media that what a great trade it was by Ken Holland, that he had ripped off the 26 year old general manager of the Arizona Coyotes when they have no, you know, understanding that the Coyotes needed to add a salary just to come anywhere close to the floor. Um, what was your opinion of that deal, uh, Prashanth? Yeah, I mean, my opinion was, yeah, that's a, you know, again, removing everything that Holland ended up doing with the money at the time, that's a that's a very solid deal for the Wings. But at the same time, there's also exactly what Arizona needed. They needed some money where they needed a cap hit where they didn't have to pay anything to be able to get to the cap floor. And then, like you said, Jeff, arguably the second-best player in the draft, or that's how we started the year, and Jacob Chikrin is just sitting there uh, for them at the 16th pick, and they're going, well, let's load up on puck movers. And then you've got um, the general manager, uh, Chaika, today saying that, you know, his his goal with his team is that the best defense is a defense that doesn't play in their own zone. So he's focused on acquiring all these puck movers. Now you see they've got Oliver ekman Larson. Now they've got Chikrin. Like, they've got guys. They're slowly building that team, and that's exactly what they wanted. And so I don't really know how you can say that Ken Holland really fleeced. I think it's a situation where the deal was a win-win for both sides, and Detroit got, got what they wanted, which was clearing that cap space, and Arizona got the draft pick that they wanted to fit into the style of play they're trying to go after. So I don't really know how you can say that's a big loss or Detroit fleeced this guy or something like that. I mean, a lot of the analytics people were very high on getting Chikrin at that spot for, for Arizona, as well as taking on a cap hit that they didn't have to pay a single dime to. So I think I think the deal worked out well for both teams uh, at the time of the deal. Ultimately, I don't think what Detroit did with the money was any good at all. But uh, at least at the time, I think that was a solid deal both ways. One of the things that uh, I've been harping on over the last few weeks is that we we know, based on reporting, that – Steve Eiserman uh, was the choice for of, of Mike Illich that when it push came to shove and, and Eiserman was ready to take a job as a GM, uh, Mike Illich wanted Eiserman, who was the basically the touchstone of the reclamation project of the Detroit Red Wings under Illich's ownership. He, he didn't want to lose Steve Eiserman to Tampa Bay. He wanted him to remain as GM, and he wanted Ken Holland to go to the front office, uh, become the president, oversee the operation, but let Steve Eiserman make the personnel decisions. And selfishly, in my opinion, Ken Holland decided that that wasn't going to happen. He gave a BS reason that, look, I couldn't, you know, he couldn't raise Eiserman over Jim Nill, even though Jim Nill was going to get a GM spot himself, which he ended up doing in Dallas. To me, the last few years are all about Ken Holland's selfishness from not acquiescing to Illich's um, 
desire regarding Eiserman to the fact that we were told by a national NHL writer, I'm not going to disclose his name because it was in a private message, you know, a private discussion, that it seems that Ken Holland is doing everything to just compete over the next couple of years because he knows this is the end for him in the next few years. I was actually going to bring that up. The, the, the team is very much constructed to be competitive only for a couple more years. And, and, and not even competitive on, in a way yeah. where they can win a cup. Right, right, just get in the playoffs, keep just the streak to get alive. Just keep the streak yeah. alive. And is there any way else you can you can read this, Prashant, that it's, it, that it's not self selfishness? Because you, there is a blueprint to rebuilding this team on the fly. And Ken Holland has refused to do it. And then he tells the media it would take 10 years. It's it, it, it just utter insanity to me. To people who know hockey, is there any other explanation to this other than it's just Ken Holland all, being all about Ken Holland? I, I honestly don't have any rational explanation that explains a lot of these moves, I mean, you can always say there's a loyalty factor. There's a promoting a product that fans want to watch in the sense of signing all these Michigan players. I mean, because, you know, with so many guys here now on this team who have been in the state of Michigan or been in the Big Ten or something like that, it's just, I can't, I'm, I'm grasping at straws here to justify out, you know, why these moves are made. And it doesn't really seem to come down to putting on the best on ice product. It has, seems to be a lot of other things, whether it's player loyalty, trying to build that environment that makes people want to come there, it's or it's just pulling in fan favorite players and, and having them play. But I, I, I have zero explanation for what are you doing right now. I mean, I think that could, I mean, what you're mentioning here with him uh, saying that this might be the end of the road for him, well, I mean, that's definitely a plausible explanation as well. I just don't have a rational explanation for what he's doing right now, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It defies it defies a lot. It defies logic. I want to. Uh, I got to ask you um, one of the one of the things uh, exercises that I've been doing over the last few years at various times. Uh, it ends up being very frustrating. Is what would I do um, right now to get out of this hole? Um, so, if you like theoretically tomorrow, if you could make all the decisions, how would you get the Red Wings out of this hole? Because it seems as time's gone on over the last few years. It's gotten deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, like, how do you get out of it at this point? It's a deeper hole than it was 25 I, days ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, I'm not sure how you go out of it. I think probably the first thing I would do is right now at this point, with Peter Mrazek uh, being eligible for arbitration and going that way, a second buyout window is going to open for the Wings. I think you have to take advantage of the buyout window, clear yourself of Jonathan Erickson's contract at that point. Yes, is the remaining money on his contract is going to get divided out by double the amount of years left, and you've already got the Stephen Weiss buyout. Um, you've got Jakob Kindle's retained salary for this year. You've got overage bonuses for this year. But I think in the long term, buying out Erickson and at least freeing up that roster spot so you don't lose one of those three defensemen that are going to be going by the wayside. You don't lose them for nothing. Um, I think you got to send Steve Ott down to the minors, bury that contract. I think... Um, you know, you've got Drew Miller for a year. You got to let him ride. Potentially, he'll be my scratch. I'm looking for immediate takers for Justin Abdelkader and Darren Helm, particularly Abdelkader, while he's still 29 and the extension's just kicking in. I do. You I, could potentially convince a team like Colorado or Los Angeles to make a run at him. 
I was going to agree with you on that. I think Applicator's like their most tradable bad contract. Yeah, I mean, I think he's the most tradable bad contract. The other thing you have to consider with your compliance buyout is, if not Erickson, then Henrik Zetterberg. Um, Henrik Zetterberg's not going to be – his contract runs through the 2020-2021 season. He's 35 years old, so that's, uh, that's five more years. Um, for a guy who's had a history of back issues, you know, that's, that's not going to be a pretty contract. And everyone's saying, oh, well, he'll get a back injury and he'll just put him on LTIR and that solves everything. Well, what if he doesn't end up with a devastating injury that allows you to put him on LTIR? Um, his contract is subject to cap recapture. So I'm not even sure if you can buy him out really. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least he's a guy that I'm looking at doing something with, or if I'm stuck with him, then recognizing that I've got, got to get rid of money elsewhere, whether that is Erickson, um, Erickson's going to be harder to move because he does have some form of a modified no trade clause for the rest of his contract. Um, I don't know. There's not really an easy way out of this. Uh, there's too many contracts going on right now. And in fact, like, if you want, if you told me you wanted this team to be a contender in five years, I'm going to tell you when I've got the 2019-2020 season approaching me, and I'm sitting there in that off season, uh, the t- summer of 2019, I'm going to recognize that the Wings already have the third most players signed through that time period, and that they've committed, I believe it's the seventh most or sixth most cap money at that time. Here, here's their 20. So they, they've already, here's their starting a significant amount of players and cap hits. Here's their uh, here's their um, committed contracts for opening day 2019. Zetterberg, Nielsen, Abdelkader, Helm, Glendening, DeKaiser, and Erickson, um, and then uh, Franzen. But I mean that doesn't kind of. But that's the thing. So. We were hoping and then the Stephen Weiss buyout. Oh right. yeah, Stephen Weiss. That's that's and, on and, there and until we were, 2021. And we were hoping that that was the thing. Like okay, we know we're in this situation with the bad Erickson and Cronwall deals. Um, the thing over the last year that's been so frustrating is like. At least you could say, well, we'll get some of these contracts off in the next couple of years, and we can move forward, play the young guys. Nobody's going to be adverse to playing Athanasiu. The fan base wants it. Mantha, Bertuzzi maybe, Sproul, Ouellette. Nobody's adverse to it. If they miss the playoffs, they miss the playoffs. But we want to see these young guys. And at least if you had that, you could say, okay, there's something to look forward to. Sooner or later, they can buy out Erickson at some point. Uh, maybe Cronwell retires. Some of these things clear up on their own. They trade maybe Howard, you, you deal a prospect or a draft pick to get rid of that deal. And things can clear up and you can go forward and you've got a fresh slate kind of. But what's happened since the beginning of the year is he's compounded on these issues, mm-hmm. giving the horrible Abdulkader and Helm deals, assigning Nielsen to six years, giving the $30 million now to DeKaiser. So instead of doing what we wanted and hoping things would start maybe um, looking on you know looking up where we could we could ha- we'd have a future, he's doubled down on these awful deals yeah. to the point where Prashanth tweeted this out today. Quote: One concern: the Wings already have over sixty-two million dollars in AAV committed to fifteen players next season, with Thomas Tatar, Yurko Pulkinen, Athanasiu, and Brendan Smith as free agents. Wow. So so. Now, I mean that that that's astounding. That is absolutely like it, it's almost like that. Holland makes these moves without any idea playing chess that he's going to get checkmated on the next mm-hmm. move. It's just it's it's absolute insanity. To, and, and you compound that with the fact that 
we were banging the drum for Brendan Smith all year. The Red Wings are in a, a, their life and death to make the playoffs. Something that is so near and dear to the heart of Ken Holland and Chris Illich and that organization. And down the stretch, they're not playing Brendan Smith. He's a healthy scratch. He doesn't play game one and two of the playoffs. Prashant, I mean, how do you, you can't paint a pretty picture of the situation. It's just an absolute terror. No, I mean, that, that situation is terrifying because while, while Yurko, Polkinen, Athanasiu, and Tatar are all going to be restricted free agents, and so technically you own their rights, I mean, you're talking about Tatar is going to be getting a contract close to $5 million, somewhere in the 4 and a half to 5 Even if you take him to arbitration, he's going to get that because that's how good of a player he is. Yes. And you could arguably say right now that him and Larkin are probably the two best forwards on this team. And so you're talking about, okay, I need to lock up that guy. And, and Tatar's protection is definitely that of a top six guy. So he's not someone I necessarily want to just let walk as he's only 25 years old. Um, Brendan Smith, like we've talked about numerous times, was by far the wing's best defenseman. I don't know how he comes back. And it just makes me wonder that Ken Holland's going to recognize this kind of midway through the season and say, who can I dump? Who can I move? Yurko and Polkinen aren't exactly attractive trade options. Uh, aside from just netting you a draft pick, given how much uh, they've been sat on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. But if you, you know, Thomas Tatar is a big trade ship. And so I'm just wondering, are we going to get fleeced for Thomas Tatar? Are we going to get fleeced for Brendan Smith? Because those are probably the guys that I see being able to deal with this issue. Because if you look at the other guys who are already locked up past that point, uh, it's going to be Zetterberg, Nielsen, Nyquist, Abdelkader, Helm, uh, Shahan, Larkin, and Glendening up front. So I don't really know, given that you just handed new contracts to half of those guys, I'm not really sure that you're moving any of them right away. Otherwise, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense um, from Holland's standpoint. So I, I have a very bad feeling that you're going to see Thomas Tatar and Brendan Smith dealt, or one of those guys dealt midway through the season or in the offseason because of these financial cap constraints. Uh, unless he's just trying to play cap roulette and hope that it goes up again. Or maybe he's hoping for like six more expansion teams. <laughs> well, that's a que- that's another question. Where do they stand, Prashant, heading next year into the the expansion draft? Are they going to lose enough? I mean, forget the fact that Martin Frick and some of these other guys, Pulkin, they're probably going to lose for nothing if they, if, they, if they don't make the team and they, and they expose them to waivers. Um where are they going to stand next year with vis-a-vis the, the expansion draft considering they have all of these guys signed and some of them with no who I think Franz Nielsen has a no Franz Nielsen's the only one that are they, they going to lose to another good young player when it, when Las Vegas has a chance to uh take a player off our roster? I've already got a Polkan in uh Las Vegas jersey on order by the way. <laughs> we don't do they <laughs> I mean have? it may not even be Polkan in it may be someone as good as like Athanasiu cuz Athanasiu and Mantha have to be protected for uh, the way the the, the um, that they just released the, they released it I think yesterday that Manta actually has to be protected Athanasiu has to be protected Larkin will be exempt um, but still you, if you're thinking about the model where you get to protect seven forwards three D and a goalie um, okay one of your forwards has to be Nielsen mm-hmm. and now you're saying that Athanasiu and Manta are going to take up two of those spots which means Ken Allen only gets four of those other guys. I'm not really sure he does that. Right. Um, I hope he does that because I would hate to lose Mather and Athens to see you for absolutely nothing. But that's a terrifying proposition that 
you're going to lose more young talent um, for absolutely nothing because I think Holland's not going to leave Abdulkader unprotected. So if you have Nielsen, Abdulkader protected, um, I would hope he'd be smart enough to leave Zetterberg unprotected, recognizing that nobody would touch that contract. Um, I would hope he would also leave Helm unprotected, but at the same time, I can't really trust for anything. Hmm. I don't know. How do it's they have any? How are they going to have? How are they going to have any money next year for in free agency? Yeah, I, they, I don't know. To even get someone I mean, like Shattenkirk, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. where's the money going to come? Unless the Canadian dollar suddenly rebounds and true and um, uh, was it Trudeau? Is it yeah. <laughs> uh, somehow <laughs> resuscitates the dollar and the Canadian dollar becomes par? I mean, that, that's basically. The Canadian dollar would basically be the best chance of the Red Wings having any cap space next year. That and it's it just it's just unbelievable the corner this man has painted us into, and there's nobody talking about it. Uh-huh. There is just nobody discussing what a what an awful situation the Red Wings are in because there's nobody who thinks that this team is competitive for a Stanley Cup no matter what happens. I don't care if Athanasiu turns into a superstar. I don't care if Mantha turns into Cam Neely. I don't care if Dylan Larkin turns into uh, Taze. All those great things can happen. You still got garbage defensemen, and it's it's just so frustrating. But the name that we've heard come up a lot this off season, which has been brought up by the uh, the three blind mice, basically of Colfin, St. James, and and Khan, is Cam Fowler. Like Cam Fowler is some uh, panacea for the Red Wings with the Ducks. And you've run the numbers, Prashanth, and he's not he, statistically. He doesn't even match up to Brendan Smith, the guy who was a healthy scratch. And that's what I've been. That's the other shoe I've been waiting on to drop this this July. Is at some point they trade, make a make a blockbuster trade, and go after and get Camp Fowler. I mean, the only way they're going to be able to get Fowler with the current cap spot they're in right now is if you deal Nyquist for Fowler, which would be an absolutely terrifying proposition for the wings to do because Fowler is not good, not good at all. Like, uh, you know, from an analytic standpoint, he looks similar to the Kaiser. Um, so he's worth $5 million for the next six years. Four or five. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, I, I, he just doesn't do anything well. It's, it's not a pretty thing to look at. It's, mm-hmm. it's a very, very bad thing. So he's very poor at shot suppression very poor goal numbers. Um, doesn't really put up a whole lot of points for you. And the thing is, he did it in a good Anaheim system. So it's not like he was, you know, playing for a crappy team and his potentially his system is bad and therefore his numbers look worse. No, relative to his teammates, he was absolutely terrible. So if I take him out of the Anaheim system, which has been pretty good for the last couple of years, especially um, when they had a uh, Bruce Boudreaux over there, who I consider to be a very good defensive. Uh, defensive defenseman kind of coach considering the talent that they got over there with Lindholm and Vatanen and others and he couldn't thrive under that and you take him out of that and you bring him over to Detroit I can't see him succeeding whatsoever yes he's 24 years old but that's probably the only thing he's got going for him by the way it, um, it would not be a good deal the, the stuff you've done with um, I do remember you talking about Fowler online and also the Smith has been really outstanding it's good, good stuff well we're gonna we got to close it out in that couple minutes, and I, Topher Ryan, who is one of the uh, DSR contributors, who helped ask some of these questions. He sent some questions for us 
to ask you and to dis- some topic topics uh, of discussion on this podcast. Just said, quote, the last 40-plus minutes have been a snuff film. Dear God, make it stop, unquote. Uh, it, it is depressing. It is funeral-like. Uh, uh, is there anything positive, Prashant, <laughs> you can say to get people to put the knives away, uh, maybe not slit their wrists? Is there anything positive that we can hang our hat on whatsoever with this franchise? You know, when, I, when I'm looking at it right now, I, what gets me excited is potentially the development of Larkin, uh, Athanasio, and Manta. I'm really, really excited for Larkin. I've kind of I've kind of tempered my expectations a little bit with Athanasio after I took a little bit of a longer look this summer, but I still think he's got the potential to be just a great, great player in the NHL. And so I'm really, really excited about those guys. I think the fans should be very, very excited about them coming up. At the same time, I have a lot of concerns just with how much money the Wings have committed and whether or not they're going to find themselves in trouble when it comes, you know, time to sign them. You know, Larkin's going to need to be signed uh, in the 2018 summer. Athanasiu needs to be signed next summer. I mean, the Wings have $51 million committed in the summer of 2018 already, and so that's going to be a bit challenging. I think. Yeah, he's going to be like a uh, six there, or seven million dollar player. Who's that? Larkin's going to be like a six or seven million dollar player, right? And we only got about a minute left. But the, the mm-hmm. interesting thing, Anthony, that that could transpire this year, because with the wet, with just because the move to the new arena mm-hmm. uh, next year, if the Red Wings somehow just flame out this year, and they don't make the playoffs, they're bottom five or bottom they're, six. They're like the a two-month Mrazic injury away from that. Yeah, right. Because Mrazic, as Prashant pointed out, uh, statistically yeah. kept the Red Wings from being that uh, you know, a lottery team. Right. Based on his, you know, his play mm-hmm. up until his groin injury, I would say. Mm-hmm. Which I don't think was a coincidence, but some people do. If they bottom out heading into that to the season entering Little Caesars Pizza Pizza Pizza, Pizza Stadium. Wow. because Chris Chris Illich, I think, is behind a lot of this. I think Chris Illich is the reason that they are desperate to extend the playoff streak. I think Ken Holland, in his heart, wants to extend it, and I think, basically, Chris Illich is giving him a license to do it. Mm -hmm. And, wow, if if they collapse this year, don't make the playoffs, and then have, as Prashanth has mentioned, 62 million already tied up, no wiggle room, Going into a new arena with those high ticket prices, those, those I mean, some of those seats, the prices are absolutely insane. It, it sure will be interesting to see what happens with this franchise moving forward. Maybe finally the organization catches up with some of the fans uh, like us who have been seeing this coming down Woodward for, for a couple years. Definitely since they, uh, they lost to Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, right. Any, any closing comments, Prashanth? No, I mean, I just I hope the turnaround is there, but uh, at this point, I think when the time even comes, I'm not sure what you could sell that people would want. Right. So we'll see. Well, I'm staring but at a bottle of a Jack Daniels at. Tennessee whiskey that I just probably want to just guzzle down after this conversation. <laughs> I hope uh, we haven't led to any greater depression in this area over the last uh, 55 minutes, but it is what it is. It's it's not pretty, and it's not going to get any better soon. Thanks to Anthony Ciotti for joining us in studio. Thanks for Prashanth to take some time away from 
saving uh, heart attack patients' lives with pharmaceuticals. To create uh, more. Right. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, really. This is really – maybe Prasad's just full of shit. He's just looking to increase his, like, client base. By, <laughs> you know, come up to Detroit. I'm sure you're going to have a lot of more heart attack patients in, uh, after that discussion. And thanks, Greg Henson, for joining us earlier. We will see you next Tuesday on the Detroit Sports Podcast. Thanks to Jessica, as always, for producing. Have a good week, everyone. You're listening to a previously recorded episode of the Detroit Sports Rag Podcast.